This Meeting on the Go podcast is brought to you by the San Francisco Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. So our speaker for this evening is Jenny. She will now speak for 20 to 25 minutes sharing what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. Please join me in welcoming Jenny. Hi, everybody. I'm Jenny, compulsive overeater. Hi, it's really great to be here, and I can't believe you're all here on a Friday, on a rainy Friday night. <laughs> so um, I'd like to think it's because of me, but I know it's not. <laughs> um, I just wanted to share something because it's uh, like sort of in a nutshell what what it's like uh, now, and that and what it's like now is that I am reminded all the time that I'm not cured and I'll never be cured. But um, those promises that we hear about at every meeting and that we read on page 84 of the big book are slowly starting to come true for me, which is a recent thing. I've been in program for three years, and it's just starting to happen for me. So um, Heather is a great speaker seeker. She called me or emailed me, I don't know, maybe, maybe two months ago at least, and I said yes right away. And I was excited, and you know, she gave me the, the directions like 14 times, and <laughs> had to remind me again. But um, earlier in the week, I it just hit me like on Wednesday that I was speaking this Friday. That October 29th just came and surprised me. So yesterday, I had a really bad day, and it was a long day. I was thought I was coming down with something. Just I was off. You know, it was one of those halty, shaky days. And I thought about today, and all I, I didn't think about what I wanted to share with you guys. I didn't think about my life in recovery. All I could obsess about, because I live in Concord and work in Oakland, so I was not going to go home before coming to this meeting, and I had a gap of time between when I usually get off and the meeting time. Of course, I was still late. I apologize for that. Um, so all I could think about is what I was going to have for dinner. <laughs> and I just started obsessing, uh, really obsessing about it. I have this one obsession that I'm still working on, which is looking at online menus. And usually it really is part of the footwork. Like when I go somewhere, I want to be prepared in terms of what I'm going to have. So I want to kind of know what the options are. But then it falls into this <coughs> fantasy land. You know, it's like the cookbook as porn thing. So, um, so like 36 hours before I actually have to have today's dinner, I started thinking about all of my options. Do I eat in downtown Oakland? Do I eat closer to the bridge? Do I eat in San Francisco? What would I eat? Where would I park? You know, <laughs> it just becomes this crazy chatter in my head. And then I went to bed, thank God. I, I slept through the entire Giants game, you know, while everyone around me was cheering and clapping. I just was like out cold. And this morning I woke up, as I usually do, at 4 a.m. And, um, and it was just so clear to me. I got up. I got my usual stuff together. I went downstairs to make my usual, all of my snacks, my breakfast, my lunch, and my dinner. Like, duh, you know, you know what to do. Um, it sounds boring maybe to a normal eater or maybe even to some of you in the room, but it's it's my abstinence. And so, and it just was effortless. And it reminded me of the line in the promises about um, we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. So, I mean, and used to baffle us meant like 36 hours ago in my case. <laughs> um, but, you know, it is becoming more of an intuition, more automatic, more of something that's part of my daily life. So um, for just a few hours yesterday, you know, my diseased mind was still racing with the obsessive thoughts. So I just wanted to share that. Really quickly what it was like. I always say this. You know, I won the lotto when it comes to a family. I have, I come from the most loving family. We're really poor growing up, um, immigrant Chinese family. I have one sister who's really skinny. 
And um, she's the pretty skinny one, and I'm the smart, funny one with the great personality. Um, you know, just a wonderful, loving family for whom love is food, food is love, always. And, you know, I grew up with my earliest, these weren't even my memories, but the earliest memories of me as a child is at age one, I could eat an entire bowl of rice with chopsticks. Um, and not leave a single kernel, and if and my mom loves this part of the story the best. And if a kernel of rice would fall on her bib, she'd pick it up and eat it too. <laughs> so I was always a foodie, and I was always, always, always like I finished everything on my plate. My sister, meanwhile, was throwing up everything that you put in her. Just no appetite, you know. Just couldn't put on weight. And she, I was the good girl, and so that that stuck with me. But again, I have the best family in the world, so this is this is really not about them. My early memory of weight was in the third grade. We had to be like weighed by the school nurse, and then they announce your weight to everyone. So I don't know how old you are in third grade, like maybe eight or nine, and I was eighty-five pounds. I remember that being like a lot heavier than the boys or the girls. And I just remember everyone laughing, and, and my last name is K-O, K-A-O. I don't, I don't mind having my last name out there. But, you know, it could be pronounced cow, five. So, you know, oh, Jenny Cow, and, you know, she's a fat cow, and just kids are so brutally honest that it's, it's awful. I mean, it's so hurtful. And I remember distinctly that day in third grade just, like, running to my desk after the weigh-in and the announcement and the cow jokes and just, like, scarfing down my little graham crackers with milk. And so, and that wasn't the first time I turned to food for comfort, but it was my first memory of it. And it was my first memory of shame around weight. So um, also, you know, I have to say that growing up as a young Asian woman, there just aren't that many of us. Um, So that was another added piece. I'll I'll pass around some pictures actually while I'm talking. So... um, I was, I've always been very extroverted, you know, as part of student government, surrounded by friends, a real people pleaser, um, but there was always this part of me, so I'm really, really extroverted, but there's this part of me that was always hiding in the food, and so, you know, people used to always say, like, I don't understand, you must have a metabolism problem, we never see you eat, or we never see you overeat. Um, because I was just doing all of that in secret, all, all the time. It was my best friend, it was my lover, it was my companion. Um, I would turn to food all the time. I'd go through every drive through on the way home. And, you know, I've done it all. Everything that it says in, I don't remember which chapter it is in the OA 12 and 12, but the burnt food, the stale food, the molded food, just cut off the furry part and eat it. Or sometimes just eat around the furry part. Um, garbage, you know, all of the above. And just even like just a year and a half ago in recovery, I was up in Tahoe at a big vacation home that some friends had rented, and we were just visiting for dinner. And they'd all left like the crust of the pie on their plates. And I couldn't understand why you would leave the best part. And so I was, <laughs> I was helping to clean up. And um, I got into some real trouble there, eating off of other people's plates, people who I had not met. And I have a hard time entertaining because of the cleanup, you know. I'm like adamantly like, get out of my kitchen. Do not come in and help me clean. Not because I'm such a martyr and want to do the cleaning, but because I want to eat off of your plate. So, you know, I've, I've had to work on that some. Um, things got really bad in my 20s and later on in grad school in my mid-20s. I just was in a real deep funk and a depression. I moved to the East Coast for grad school and didn't unpack my things from the West Coast for like the first year. 
I was dating a raging alcoholic and compulsive um, eater back home here in San Francisco who had a baby with another woman while he was with me. So it was a really functional relationship. We were <laughs> doing really well. And he would always tell me, and he was like 300 pounds, and he would tell me that if I got any fatter, he would leave me. So um, I just, I hated myself so much. You know, I really had no self-love. And um, it was a bad time. I had a wonderful experience in grad school academically and made some of the best friends in my life. But in terms of the food, it was awful. I was a West Coast girl who'd never been away from sunny California in New Jersey. And I would go out, like, literally risking my life in the dead of winter to eat, to, like, go buy hoagies and ice cream and anything I could get my hands on. So it was pretty bad. Um, Anyways, what happened? What happened was I came back from grad school. I just continued to put on weight over the years, um, always identified as fat. Even today, I still, I still carry the fat girl in me. And um, in 1996, a few things happened. In 1996, my nephew was born. My sister and I are really, really close. We all gave up. She'd been married 12 years. There's no way she's having a baby. Boom, she has a baby. So... I decided that I really wanted to be present in his life rather than the fat aunt who can't kick around a soccer ball with him. So that was one of the turning points in my life. The other was I actually had a physical exam, and the results came out, except for my high blood pressure, which I'd had for a while from the weight. Um, oh, I, at my highest, I think I was around 270 pounds. So um, just to give you some context. Um, so my results came out pretty good. And I thought, I didn't believe in God. I didn't know what HP was. I, was, I grew up with no religion, so it wasn't so much like God's giving me a second chance. I just thought, like, something in the universe wants me to see this as a second chance. And I didn't want to enter my 40s um, plagued with disease and all these other things that come with obesity. Then the final thing was I um, went to Hawaii with my family, my parents, my sister, my brother-in-law, my baby nephew at the time. And um, on the way there, you know, I was holding him in my lap, and I couldn't get the seatbelt on, but I was just pretending that it was on. And my brother-in-law, who's like the kind of guy that if he got, you know, five cents more in change at a gas station, he'd drive back to give it back to them. Just like really straight and narrow and honest and buy the books and rules. And he, um, he basically said, I'm sorry, Jen, you can't hold Christopher if you can't, have the, if you can't get the seatbelt on. And so I had to get the extender and I was humiliated and I was so uncomfortable when we got to Hawaii, um, I wanted to surprise my dad with a helicopter trip. We were in Kauai, so, you know, they do the fly-throughs. But there was a 250-pound limit. Um, and you should have seen me there. I, I'll never forget trying to get my dad to go to the bathroom when I weighed in. Like, no, Dad, you need to go to the bathroom. You're on your high blood pressure <laughs> medication. You have to pee before we get on the plane so that he wouldn't see my humiliation when they weighed me. I didn't know what I weighed, actually, but I knew it was more than 250. So they let me on. I mean, there are a lot of big Americans who'd fly those helicopter rides, but they had to balance me out with this really, really skinny couple. So, And I had to sit in the middle, and I couldn't get a window seat because I guess the plane would have tipped over if I hadn't been at the window. So, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it, it is funny now, but it's just, it's not funny because it's just, I mean, I'm glad you're laughing because I laugh too, but it's, at the time, it was like all these signs telling me I had to do something. Um, again, I didn't actually at that time had no concept of HB and also had no concept of program. You know, I thought 12-step was for drunks. That was it. I'm sure I was a drunk at some point, by the way. Um, so I came home from Hawaii and went to see my doctor and said to her, I want gastric bypass surgery. 
I'm young, I'm relatively healthy, I want gastric. And she said, you're young, you're relatively healthy, that's why you're not getting gastric. You know, um, That's not the first resort I would have you do. So instead, I went on a very severe um, medically supervised liquid fast, and I did not eat for eight months. I had 600 calories a day in protein shakes, and I'm not advocating that. I'm just letting you know how I got my physical recovery. It was actually before I actually joined program. And um, it was great because I needed to sever my existing relationship with food in order to establish a new one. But it wasn't great in that I couldn't practice with food at all. There was no practicing. It was just, it was so easy. I, as an addict, I want everything to be black or white. It's all or nothing, and at that time, it was nothing. If I was chewing, I was imperfect, not on the program. So I was perfect, and I did not eat for eight months. And I lost 113 pounds on that program, and I've managed to lose another 20 or so on my own. That was three years ago. So that's the physical release of weight for me, but it had nothing to do with recovery. I was still the same addicted, compulsive overeater in my brain and everywhere else. And in fact, I never could see any of that in the mirror either. So um, about a month after I lost the weight, um, a bunch of different factors came together to point me in the direction of program, including two really close friends at work, one of which had been an AA for 25 years. And then another uh, person who, (laughs) when I told her, I said, yeah, but I have this problem with your powerlessness thing, that step one thing. Like, you know, I'm not powerless because I have all this willpower and I didn't eat for eight months. And she said, Jenny, if you had to be literally separated from solid food for eight months, you're powerless. Mm -hmm. And that really clicked for me. Like, oh, yeah, gee, I couldn't handle chewing, basically. I couldn't handle any of that anymore because I was just killing myself with the food. So um, I went to my first OA meeting on January 16th of 2008, and the thing that kept me coming was um, not your stupid slogans like keep coming back. (laughs) (laughs) What kept me coming, or one day at a time, I'm like, wasn't that a TV show in the 70s? Um, What kept me coming was somebody in that meeting said, or or maybe it was in the four today, in one of our daily readers, it said something about how um, we'll love you until you learn how to love yourself. And when I looked around the room as a newcomer, I'm so glad there are there's at least one newcomer here because that's what it's really all about. I looked around that room. It was a tiny, crowded um, room in a church, and there were tons of people at that Saturday meeting. And all I could see was compassion and love on the people's faces. Like, truly, you know, these people did not know me from Jack. And um, I didn't share. I didn't say a word in those meetings. I was too scared. And um, they all they did was, like, show me love, unconditional love, because I'm a compulsive overeater mm-hmm. and because we had that in common. And so then I, that's what made me want to come back. That first night after my first meeting, I totally binged my brains out. And I called my friend from AA and said, it doesn't work. I binged, <laughs> you know. And he said, well, of course you did. You don't know what to do with the emotions yet. You know, that's mm-hmm. don't worry about it. That's normal. Just... Keep coming back, keep coming back. So I've been coming back now for three years. And in the beginning, really, the only tool I used was the meeting. I mean, I had my own food plan, but it was so strict because I was so afraid of... Is that 15? Thank you. I was so afraid. Um, They tell you all these statistics when you're in that fasting program. You know, 97% of people gain it back and more within a certain amount of time. So you have to be part of that 3%. And then there's just all kinds of things that I hear about. Not to mention that I had been on every diet under the sun and gained it all back and then some. So I'd been one of those 97%. So um, I was on a very restrictive diet. It was definitely a diet. 
Um, but I kept going to meetings and slowly started opening up to people and could relate to everything. And it was like every share I heard in those early days had something to do with you know my situation. And then I still didn't believe in a higher power, so I really did act as if it's like just pretend. I'll just pretend that when I'm talking out loud, there's somebody who's guiding me and watching over me. And then I started seeing little, started seeing things as miracles rather than coincidences or accidents. I used to binge every Friday night. I worked in Sacramento and came home on the weekends to go to my home meeting. So Friday nights, driving home after a long week of work, I'd get home to Concord, and that was when I'd like let down my guard and binge, and then feel unworthy of going to the meeting the next day, but still went. And one of my binge foods was cereal. Still is actually, even though I do keep it in the house.、Um, and one day I was just. On the drive home from Sacramento, just thinking about the cereal, totally obsessing. It's like usually once it gets there, it's kind of too late for me. I mean, you know, I really have to use the tools before I start the planning of the of the attack of the binge. So I was planning on what I would eat and how I would stand there and take it out of the box. It's not even like enjoyable in a bowl with milk. I just wanted it dry. And I went home and、um, and you know, a lot of times it's about. Now I know it's about pausing. If I just pause 15 seconds, it usually goes away. It's like somebody shared earlier.、Um, you know, every feeling goes away, every craving goes away eventually. It doesn't take that long now, but、um, in the early days, I needed some other kind of distraction. So what happened this time to me was、um, I, I knew what kind of night it was going to be and how I was going to feel the next morning. Total moral hangover. But I came home to an ant infestation of my kitchen, and you know. Yeah, I mean, I swore a little bit, but it usually would have like just completely unrattled me. But I realized I saw it at that moment as a sign from my higher power that he didn't want me just for that one night to binge on the cereal.、Mm-hmm. And the ants were covering the cereal, and unless I wanted to also eat ants, which I probably, you know, have done in the past, <laughs> I wasn't going to get into it. So.、Um, So, anyways, those were sort of the early signs that I had a higher power, and now I know I have a higher power.、Um, I want to get to what it's like now. Just three months ago, I was in utter despair. I、um, was doing a lot of the things that I'm doing now, which is the food plan and exercise and all of that. But every Saturday morning,、um, I'd wake up and I'd have quiet time to myself to read literature, and the only day of the week that I'm not getting up at four or earlier in the morning. And so, you know, it was just really nice, and I would look forward to my home meeting at 10 a.m. But there was one thing that always threw that off, and that was stepping on the scale for me. And、um, you know, it's always been a good gauge for me to be accountable because I do need to be accountable. But I would feel good about myself, good about my life, good about all the things in my life, pretty much, and look forward to my meeting. And then. From that moment, say that that was you know eight thirteen in the morning, I'd step on the scale at eight fourteen, and from that point on, my day went downhill, and it was never good enough. It was either too high usually, or if it's low, I was artificially happy about the fact that it was lower, or I would give myself license to eat that day, but it was usually too high, and and then I started questioning like and sharing at meetings, how could it be that at eight thirteen my life was going well? And then a number on a scale just completely means that I'm shit, you know. So I did a、um, first, second, and third step actually around the scale and realized that I was powerless over.、It. And so I stopped weighing myself. And that was just the beginning three months ago.、Um, so my one of my sponsors used to say all the time, "What we resist persists." 
And so that's one of the things that really stuck with me. The other thing she always said was, if you focus on um, the weight, you lose the recovery. And if you focus on the recovery, you lose the weight. So I literally just let go of the number on the scale. I let go completely, and I just said, you know what? I give up, HP. Have with me as you will, and let me just do the footwork. So that was kind of the beginning of the last three months, and I have to say that I really am happy, joyous, and free today. I'm not all the time, but 80% of the time I would say, is that 20? I'm happy, joyous, and free. And, um, you know, this morning as I was driving in, this is this is real. I never used to cry, ever. You know, I just never used to cry because I was too full of food to have any emotions. This morning, I'm driving in at 4.30 in the morning, and I'm thinking about you guys tonight. And um, really, the only person I, I knew who was going to be here was Heather. And um, so I didn't know you, but I was thinking about being at a meeting and, you know, being able to be brutally, rigorously honest about all the things that we do or all the things that I do. And... I was headed to the gym. That's why I get up at 4 a.m. every day because I work out at that hour. It's the only time I can fit into my day. And it's not anything noble. It's just what I have to do for my abstinence and for my recovery. So I started crying. I started crying on the way, on the freeway in because I was so happy. I was just like profoundly happy. And, you know, three months ago, I remember so clearly thinking, why me? Why do I have to work out? Why do I have the genes and the compulsive overeating thing and the fat thing that makes me have to work out two to two and a half hours a day? Any other person would be a size zero. Any other person, any other person, da 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 And um, this morning I just thought, oh my God, I'm so lucky to have that because I have all the other health benefits that comes with working out two hours a day. I mean, it really is for me just all about that fourth column, my role in things and what I seek um, you know, my selfishness, my self-seeking, all of that. And the reverse of that is all of my virtues. You know, the ways that I'm able to see gratitude and have gratitude. Um, these days, it really is true. Once I start getting, you know, mired down in me, 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 whether it's in a fight with my boyfriend or at work, you know, thinking like my boss is the biggest bitch in the world or whatever it is, I just take a breath. I do a mental fourth step. I might do a fifth step with someone. And... And I'm able to see that fourth column really clearly and what my role is in it. And I'm able to kind of just turn those defects into, for the moment at least, into something you know, virtuous or something that's like an asset. So you know, I just recently did a fourth and fifth step on a set of resentments I had around losing an offer on a house because I'm looking to buy a house. And it was just so revealing. And the most revealing wasn't about the substance or the topic itself. It was the first time I had actually worked steps um, in three years around something other than food, mm-hmm. you know, and it was just like, oh, this is what they mean about like practicing this and these principles in all our affairs. It really works if you work it. I don't know how it works. I just know that it works. Um, I today I um, fight fair when I have to argue with my boyfriend, and I'm not defensive, and um, and I. I also know how to set boundaries. So there's a lot more self-love than when I first walked into that first meeting when 
when I just said, please love me until I can love myself. I food sponsored three people. I don't step sponsor anyone, and I don't have a step sponsor myself. And I feel like I really want to step sponsor someone, but to be honest, I don't feel it's fair until I also have a sponsor so that I can kind of bounce that kind of thing off of someone. I go to one to two meetings a week. I have a very seriously... Uh, rigorously sort of reported food plan to two I food two food sponsors that I report my plan to every morning and that includes my exercise and also even how I'm feeling how hungry I am when I start the meal how full I am when I'm done and then I report all of my deviations the next morning and um, I use as many tools as I can not every day but I definitely try to read the literature as much as I can because it'll just be amazing how the moment I need to hear something it's in one of our little books you know um, and I think most importantly is I'm I'm just present in life. You know, I have I have so much more present in my interactions with people. That's something that I learned when I was in eating solid foods, which is when the food is not the primary like focus of a of an event, then I'm actually able to connect with you, and I'm actually able to hear what you have to say. I was so good at acting, and I was. everyone always said, you're such a great listener, you'd be such a great therapist. But it's like, I didn't even know what you were saying half the time. I'm just really good going, really? You're kidding me. Oh, my God. You know? And, um, and meanwhile, I'm watching the next table and what they're ordering and how big the order is and how many bag- baskets of chips and salsa they've been through. So um, my commitment usually when I have to go out now is to stay present with the company, not the food. And if I'm able to do that, then it's not about what I order or the portions, or I mean, that's all important, but really it's about staying present. So for me, the program has given me the biggest things in life, which is that what I thought was formerly impossible, like running, is now possible. I'll wrap up. And also, my relationships are just so much more honest and so much more, so much deeper. And, you know, sometimes that's more painful, but it's so worth it. So I'm just really um, happy and excited to be here with you tonight. I really want to thank Heather and all of you for having me come and share with you. And um, keep coming back one day at a time. Any, any slogan I can throw at you, um, I'll make a pitch for. It really works if you work it. Thank you.